So Psalm 62, a psalm of King David, a man who knew what it was to really go through it, to say the least. So these words are not spoken lightly, and, and of course it's a psalm, it's a song, they're not sung lightly. Amen. Let's stand together as we hear the reading of God's authoritative, powerful, inerrant word. Hear God's word to you this morning. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Lowborn men are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. This ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. I don't know about you, but just hearing those words read, right there, I almost want to say, Amen. Let's pray. But I would be derelict in my duty if I did that, because God calls me to explain his word to his glory, with his help. So we're going to do that, take some time this morning, this Lord's Day, to do that. And as I looked at this psalm, and it's honestly one of my favorite psalms. Um, when I was first saved, for some reason, I was really drawn to this psalm. You know, there are some psalms like Psalm 23, like that everybody knows, even if you're not a believer. Well, this one is not as well known, uh, and yet it is just as powerful. And it's within the same group of psalms, a psalm of trust, expressing trust in God. And the question, of course, that you can't help but ask yourself when you're looking at this passage is, where will you find your rest, your security in this unstable world of, in an old-fashioned word, of tumult, right? Of trouble, of uncertainty. Now, here's the issue. We saw it in the psalm, so I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm taking it from the text. The question here, is, or the thing we see here is that, and it's a fact we see every day of our lives, some people rely on what to give them stability and security in this life? Money. It's what I want, like the one song says. Right? 
Other people look to men who hold the seats of power and authority and prestige in this world, and here's what they do. They try to ingratiate themselves to those people thinking that that's the way to get in. That's the way to have security. That's the way to make sure your life is going to go smooth. If I can just be connected to the right people. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You've heard that. What we see in this text, this beautiful song of praise, is that the godly know better. We see right through that superficial nonsense. And we know that true, lasting security can only be found in, and here's the interesting thing, God Almighty. I want you to understand the Hebrew word that, that um, David uses for God in this text is Elohim. And so, you know, God has many names to express himself, different aspects of his character. So a lot of times the, the biblical authors, obviously through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will pick just the right name to emphasize what they want to say. And here, this is not uh, higgledy-piggledy, as it were. This is a, a very specific name. And it emphasizes God's unlimited power. I mean, I remember, like I've mentioned to you before, I've actually took a few moments to actually think about and literally, literally up the back of my spine, I felt like unlimited power. That's our God. That's the God we serve. And that's where we see King David found his rest and where he found his security in life. And it's interesting where he exhorts all of God's people to find theirs. In other words, we're going to see in this song, he's, he's saying, yeah, this is where I find my hope and my help. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's where you got to find yours. And he's also saying it as the king. Imagine having a president, I don't care what your persuasion is politically, who literally had this faith, and who literally said, don't look to me, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the hope of our nation. That's what David's doing in Jerusalem here. And I want you to see something. It's really important to see this. This actually, I misspoke a second ago. This actually isn't a psalm of praise or a song of praise. It's not a song of intercession. And here's the issue. It's not a prayer of lament. It's not a prayer of confession. It's not a prayer of thanksgiving. In the strict sense of the word, this isn't a prayer. When you think about it. It's actually an expression in song of firm trust in God. Now, this is important. In the midst of the storms, the persecutions, the troubles, and the tribulations of this life. It's an exhortation song. And it's interesting because the first person that David exhorts is who? His own soul. He says, yo, put your trust in him before he addresses the wicked and then he addresses the righteous and saying you need to put your trust in God as well I've quoted this quote from J.I. Packer I bet you a dozen times or more in my sermons over the last two decades so anybody who's heard my sermons or they should be saying again but that's how awesome this quote is and that's how much it resonates with my own soul and I hope yours too as a child of God it's from J.I. Packer it's from his classic book, Knowing God. If you haven't read it, read it. If you've read it before, read it ten more times. It's, it's a special thing in New City because it's one of the first studies we ever did in my living room 
when we first started this church. But this quote is, it's like a, a, just an atom bomb. And it puts it, this is what, what J.I. Packer says. Speaking about meditation. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind, listen, thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and ways and purpose and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a, communi- as a means of communication with God. Now this is the part I really love. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Isn't that awesome? We have a God-inspired example, which God is holding up to us in King David, of where we need to be exhorting our own souls, preaching the gospel to ourselves. And that's what David's doing here. He's applying to himself, this is important to see, what he knows, not just about the ways and the purposes and the promises of God, as Packer says, but about the very character of God. Do you remind yourself of the character of the God you serve every day? It would be a good practice. You know, every day you have breakfast, well, every day you should be reminding yourself who God is, the God you serve, as opposed to the idols of the nations, who don't even exist, by the way. They're man-made, they're made up. And as David does so and explains and reminds himself about the character of God, this is what's interesting. He contrasts it with what he knows about the character of sinful, limited, finite, deceitful, scheming man. That's another thing you've got to remind yourself. Look at the character of God and look at the character of man and look at the contrast. In other words, this is the way you've got to think about it. Where are you getting your news from? You know what I'm talking about? Who are you listening to? And who are you going to trust? David's telling us where we should be putting our trust. So this is the message of Psalm 62. Try to distill it down. It's pretty simple. Since God is powerful and faithful, that's the, what, Paul, what uh, David refers to in his last verse, since I know that you are strong and I know that you are loving, Since God is powerful and faithful, and men are mortal and deceitful, find your rest and security in God alone. That's the message of Psalm 62. Um, We're simply going to follow the structure of of this God-breathed song penned by David this morning, and I'm just going to point the structure out to you, and we're just going to dig right in. Verses 1 to 4, he contrasts the security he has in God with the insecurity of trusting in deceitful, the deceitful scheming of man. Then in verses 5 to 10, he does another contrast between trusting God and trusting money and those who have it. And then he ends with a great conclusion in verses 11 to 12, which we'll end with. So let's take a look. We're going to look, first of all, at contrast one. And David starts this whole psalm the same place we need to start it, and that's with a confession of a statement of faith. Not trouble, not what he's going through, not with sinful man. David starts where we all need to start. Where? With God. 
And he says this in verse 1 and 2. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. And I will never be shaken. What we have here is David talking to his own soul, telling his own soul to find rest and security and salvation, not in his surrounding circumstances, which were unstable to say the least. <laughs> read, the, read the history of, of King David in First and Second Samuels, Samuel, excuse me, and you will see his life was topsy-turvy, but rather to put his trust in God who is his fortress. And I love the way he puts it. We sang the song last week. Should have sang it this week as well. He says, I, let's put it literal, shall not be moved. Isn't that awesome? All right, so this is really cool too. So it's, it's good to study Hebrew and Greek sometimes. You get a little, get some good stuff out of it. So listen, before there was the five solas of the Reformation, some of you folks here at Reform, you know what I'm talking about? The Bible alone is our ultimate authority, right? We're saved by what? Grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. Well, that was like 1500s, right? Well, let's go back 2,500 years before that, and we have the five solas of finding your security in God alone. So we have the word alone used in this psalm five or six times. So see that, five and five? I think that's interesting. But what's interesting, so here's the point. He mentions, he doesn't just say, in God, do I have the security? Is, is, do I have my trust? And is he my fortress? He says this, in God alone does my soul find rest. Now listen, this is where I'm going to preach. Not God and your religiosity. That's not where your security should be. Not God and the armies of Israel. That's not what he says. Not God and, in David's case, my royal wealth and my position. You see no talk of that. No, no talk of relying on someone's good looks, on your skill, your talents, reputation, not even your past accomplishments. But where is David's trust and hope and security found? In God, and that little word in Hebrew, it's only two letters, alone. Sola. In Latin. Secondly, I want you to see this before we dig into the details. Notice the personal pronouns that David uses. My rock. My salvation. My fortress. My mighty rock. My refuge. As you go through the, the psalm. Luther and Calvin, uh, Just I was thinking about the Reformation as I was uh, studying. They would later put it this way. Faith is believing not merely that God is gracious to others, but to me also. There was, a little, there was an old saint when I first got saved, and it's the only Santa I've ever met in my life. That's the feminine, by the way, of Santo. So we always, you know, we loved each other because we had the same name, right? And so I will never forget, she was a little Italian lady, Santa Terranova. And she said to me, she gave me her testimony like in a couple lines. She said, it was when I realized my sons came to faith before me, because she grew up in the same religion I grew up in, which was very works-oriented. Works she said, my sons, when they witnessed to me, it, it really hit me that Jesus didn't just die for the world, 
he died for me. And she said, this is when I recognize he's my savior, my God, my redeemer. You know, how many times I walked into church as a kid and saw Jesus on the cross. And I knew he died for the world. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, showed me my sin, and showed me my need for Jesus as my savior, that I realized, and I took that Jesus, who, by the way, is not on the cross anymore. He's risen into my life by his grace. Everything changed because he wasn't just the rock. He's my rock. I hope he's yours too. Now we're going to look, that was just a little kind of extra introduction. Now we're going to look at the text itself in a little detail as we work through it. The literal Hebrew reads this. See, this is where I tell you studying the, the original language does have uh, some value. The literal Hebrew reads this. For God alone my soul is silent. The word wait is not in there. For God alone my soul is silent. In other words, this is what David's saying. I come before God's presence in silence. In a holy hush. When was the last time you did that? I speak for myself. My mind's running. I'm, I'm going here. I'm going there. When do I ever just stop and silently come into God's presence? The God who's talked about here in this psalm. So what I want you to see, and this, this was convicting to people in our day, as well as all ages, David is actually calming himself here through a type of meditation. That's what David is doing. He's meditating. He's coming into the presence of God. But in contrast with the type of Eastern mysticism that tells you to empty your mind of all thoughts, good and bad, when you meditate, biblical meditation consists of coming into the presence of God and filling your thoughts with your mighty, loving, faithful God's character. Meditating on who he is, his power, and his love. So you are filling yourself with thoughts of who? God. You're not emptying your mind. You're filling it with the truth that Jesus said will set you free. And that's what David does here, King David. He affirms the fact that God is his rock, his salvation, his fortress, so he won't be greatly shaken. So that's to say this, that God, God is his protection, and he's more protected, he's more cared for than if he was literally hiding under a physical rock. Or if he was, you know, that when you talk about fortress, refuge, not words we see a lot today, go to Italy, you see tons of them, right? A lot of those castles, those fortresses. We don't see too many of those today here in America. Our country's too young in many ways. But back in the day, they had these fortresses. And these fortresses would be high up on a mountain. They would be built of stone. It would be almost impossible to penetrate or to get to because you're up on the high ground looking down like, oh, you know, I pity you to try to come and get us, right? Well, what David is expressing is that's who God is to me. Is that who God is to you? Augustine once said this. It was a lovely prayer, his confessions. Uh, I always like to remind you, Augustine was African. We don't have enough quotes from our brothers and sisters of African descent. We need more. And uh, he was a bishop, and he was, and I will say this about him, he was the greatest church father that, that ever lived. There's no doubt. He understood grace better than all of them. 
You know, my Italian paisans couldn't touch him. He was given much grace. And he said this wonderful thing that should resonate with all child, all children of God. O Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Isn't that true? My heart wanders, my heart goes, and it even gets lost because I forget God. And I don't find rest, and I wonder why I'm, I'm, I'm restless. Well, like Augustine would later do, David acknowledges that his only repose is in Elohim. And notice, uh, since God is his rescuer and his fortress, this is the conclusion he comes to. I will not be greatly shaken. It's not going to happen. And that's why he follows it right up with the first verse. So I want you to see this. I forgot to mention this. you got a chorus like in our modern songs. you got a chorus, a verse, a chorus, a verse. And that's why you get the repeat. But notice the repeat here develops the chorus. We, we rarely develop choruses. When we get back to a song, it's the same old, you know, la, 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 la. hey, Jude. You know, it's the same thing over and over. Not here. Here it develops deep stuff. And, and what we're going to see here is it gives us some good background into uh, the song that he wrote here. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 real quick. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And by the way, Selah, we believe, means pause. Like, drink this in for a minute. Again, something we don't do in our culture very often. So this gives us some good insight into the background and circumstances of the surrounding of the writing of the song, Psalm you remember, some of us are old enough to remember MTV storytellers. And what they would do is they'd sit down a lot of times acoustically, and they, before they would perform their hit song, they would explain the circumstances that led them and that inspired them to write the song. You know, sometimes it's really neat to hear the background of one of your favorite songs. Other times you're like, really? That's it? But in this case, David's doing the storyteller thing with us. And although he doesn't give us the specifics of the exact incident that led him to write the song, we, we do find out very plainly that David was going through it. In other words, he wasn't writing this sit, sitting in a, a lofty ivory tower, just meditating on God, listening to some nice music, cooking some spaghetti. That was not what was going on here. What was going on here, he was really being pressed. He was really being persecuted, as we see in these verses 3 to 4. That means when he, when he says those things, that confession about trusting in God and God being a fortress and he would not be shaken, he's doing so in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and the troubles of this present life. And that's important for us because here specifically we heard prayer requests the last couple Sundays as well of people with bad intentions. And I don't know why we can't get in our heads that people without God and apart from his grace, are evil. And they don't all have nice intentions. And we try to train our kids and prepare our kids to get ready to go in the big bad world because people are sinful. And David describes these people, and it's interesting, this tottering fence, this leaning wall. In other words, David's saying, they love to kick you when you're down. 
They're just waiting to see, oh, look, he's almost ready to fall. Now it's time, that's our opportunity to get him down. Notice something about human nature, too. Oh, but they didn't publicly, oh, no, David, we wish you well. But in their hearts, what? They cursed. It's another way of saying, I can't wait till you turn your back so I can stab you in your back. David calls him out. Derek Kidner, one commentator, puts it this way. David confesses that his soul finds rest in God alone and that he is his fortress behind the backdrop of cruel, evil man who, being ruthlessly competitive, is attracted to weakness to give a last push to whatever is leaning or tottering. It is also attracted to strength, the target of its envy and duplicity. In other words, they were jealousa. They were jealous of King David. And so the moment his weakness, they couldn't wait to see his fall. It was just, Christian and I were just talking on the way here. And one thing about human nature, did you ever notice, like the Apostle Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Did you ever notice it's easier to mourn with those who mourn than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice? Why? Because we are envious. Because as soon as someone does well, as soon as someone is blessed, instead of rejoicing with them and having a party with them and feeling great for them and saying, God bless you, we automatically look, well, what about me? Pity party or comparison. Now, David gives us a realistic picture of man and his depravity. The Bible's never afraid to do that. Even the best of men cannot be fully trusted in this life. Hear that, brothers and sisters. In God alone, our soul should find our rest. And from him alone is our salvation in this particular context. It, the salvation being referred to as deliverance, rescue. John chapter 2, Jesus said something again. When I was a young believer, I remember reading these words and being shocked. But it's true. John 2, 23 to 24, speaking about Jesus. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Now listen. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. Or in other, other uh, translations, he knew what was in a man. Interesting. You can hear the pain in David's voice when he sings, because this is a song. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. You know, I like to joke around. Uh, I lived in the South for three years. And they would say, oh, bless your heart. And I knew they were not thinking, bless my heart. They were thinking the very further, the furthest thing from that. Well, that's what David's referring to here. Our problem, brothers and sisters, is when we are under attack, when, we, when our honor is being questioned, when we have people persecuting us, this is what tends to happen. In our eyes, God becomes small and people become big. And what David is saying, you need to look at God because God, when you see God for who he is and how huge he is, people will become small. Martin Luther, you may have already mentioned him, 1500, 1517, he was the, the Augustinian monk. See, he loved Augustine too. Um, when he nailed the 95 Thesis and started the whole Reformation movement, 
Well, as you know, once he stood up for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, he was a wanted man. Literally all known authorities were allowed to kill him at sight. Imagine having that kind of life. You know, you walk out your door, anybody could freely shoot you, and the authorities would, would applaud. And yet he wrote that wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Now listen, that doesn't mean what we're going through is no big deal. It doesn't mean it's not serious and it's not real. It just means our God is bigger. And he's a greater deal. That's why David doubles down. We look at contrast two. It's not as long of a point as the first one. But as we look at contrast two, he doubles down with the second uh, time he mentions the chorus. Find rest. Verse five. Oh, my soul and God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. Again, I will, I will not be shaken. Now he adds this, though. Listen. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Pause. Rest. Man, do we need to hear that. Our honor is not dependent upon sinful, faltering, finite, sinful man. Man. Our honor depends on who? God. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to wait patiently until the Lord vindicates us. But we know he will. If not in this life, once in a while we got to even wait till the next life, we know, as we're going to see at the end of the psalm, we will be vindicated. You know, we shall overcome. That's a fact. So here we turn from man's depravity and untrustworthiness back to God's steadfastness and reliability. And this time he also uses the word hope. It's an interesting variation on the theme. Where's your hope this morning? I hope that your hope is in Christ alone, as we're going to sing in a few moments. But here the song takes an interesting turn. David turns from expressing his own trust in God to exhorting all the people of God to do the same thing, to join him in trusting God. And notice this, trust God, O oh you peoples, what? At all times. When you're up, when you're down. When you're having an easy time, when you're having a hard time. When you're in the pit of sorrow, when you're rejoicing on the mountaintops. Trust him. He is trustworthy. He can be trusted. He is a God, as we've seen throughout the book of Genesis we were preaching um, last year, and we'll be picking it up in a few weeks here. He is a God who keeps every single last one of his promises. Jesus is proof of that. You know what's interesting, too, and I don't want you to miss this. It's not just, he's not just the refuge for prophets, priests, and kings, like King David. He's not just the fortress of reformers. Martin Luther. He's not just the strength and the hope of missionaries and super saints. He's a refuge for all true saints of Jesus Christ, from the greatest of us to the least of us. He is our refuge and our strength. 
In contrast to this, this is where the, the second contrast comes in. David goes back to people of the world, and he says this about them. Whether they're born of no account in poverty, whether they're born of nobility, he says this. When they're weighed together on a scale, they're nothing but a breath. <laughs> they're lighter than a breath. You know, in the Bible, when it talks about honor or glory in the Old Testament Hebrew, you know what the word is? It's weighty. It's heavy. And when you talk about God being glorious, that's heavy. Here, man is light. He's nothing. He's... See the difference? Low-born men are but a breath. High-born are but a lie. And here's the interesting thing. He says, trust in God at all times. In other words, not men. And specifically, not earthly riches. Because notice he mentions ill-gotten gain, things that are stolen. Or even if you gained it lawfully, either way, here's the deal with riches. Whether you get it ill-gottenly, which is awful and wrong, or whether you got it the right way, and literally the Hebrew talks about whether your money makes more money. That's what he's talking about. If your money's working for you, either way, don't put your trust in it. We know why. The stock markets could be way up here today. Tomorrow you could be ruined. One day you could say, ah, I have plenty of money. I have all my money stored up and, and my soul is satisfied. And then God will say, you fool. Today I require your soul of you. Where's your money going to go now? It's a story I heard. I was listening to a preacher from England, David Jackman. He tells a story of there was this very wealthy man who died. I think he was a millionaire. And someone went up to his son. <laughs> Again, real sensitivity. Someone went up to his son during the funeral and said, how much did he leave behind? And you know what the son said? All of it. All of it. So much for the second contrast. We're going to come to the last thing, and that's the conclusion. Then we're going to end. That's verses 11 to 12. He used a little poetic thing here. He says, one thing God has spoken Two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. What I found really interesting at the end of this psalm here is that the very thing that causes unbelievers to question God is the very same thing that actually strengthens believers and gives us deep hope and encouragement. And that's this. God is both all-powerful and all-good. You know, people will say, if God's all-powerful and all-good, how could he allow suffering in the world? Well, actually, for believers, we recognize those two things are a deep encouragement to us. Why are they a deep encouragement to us? Because look at the very last verse. He will give to each person according to what they have done. In other words, our God is all-powerful, he's all-good, and that means justice will be finally served. We will not always suffer. The innocent will not always have to face suffering and injustice and trials. Someday, the reckoning will come. And the reckoning, for some folks, will not be pretty. In the end, those who put their trust in ill-gotten gain and deceitful scheming 
And those who trusted in other sinful men instead of trusting in God will get what's coming to them. And they will shudder. Because notice, each person is going to be uh, rewarded according to what he's done. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but like my wife will often say, I wasn't made for this world when she hears the awful things that people do to each other. None of us can deny when we look around us and we see the things that we do to one another and the ways we sin against God, how we long for justice. Amen? You want to talk about people judging other people because of the color of their skin? You want to talk about people snuffing out a, a new life because of something they did, had nothing to do with them or someone else did? You talk about the way people treat the poor and those who can't give them something back in return? And yet God says, justice is coming. You could trust in me. Those who kick the righteous when they're down, who take pride in stolen goods, trust in their wealth instead of the God who made them, they're going to get a reward, according to this text, in keeping with their actions. Notice that. But then also notice, and I think this is what, what David's really uh, concentrating on here, but for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, even when they're experiencing hardship, even when they're experiencing trouble and persecution and injustice, they'll receive a great reward for putting their hope in God and not in man. Amen? Amen. They'll be putting their hope in who? The one who is their rescuer, their rock, and their refuge. David lived in an age that was 1,000 years before, before Jesus came. We live in a day and age where the grace of God has appeared to all men, we found out in Titus. In other words, the very same God who revealed himself to David as the rock, the rescuer, the refuge, is the one who came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death that we deserved, and who rose from the grave for us. When he was in the flesh, here on earth, Jesus gave these incredible words to his disciples. Listen, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you that's what David's saying but of course we have it in full bloom whereas the gospel is hidden in the old testament in bud form it's in full bloom in the new testament my buddy Matt Bissonette and one of his friends wrote a song and it has this line in it. It's one of my favorite lines ever. He says, you can nail me to the tree. It just puts me in good company. That's what David's saying. If you get I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. If you get persecuted, people are saying all manner of evil against you because of me. You're in good company of the prophets who went before you. And King David was a prophet, by the way. And more importantly, it puts us in the good company of Messiah Jesus, 
who was persecuted and literally nailed to a tree for you and for me. Let's close this morning with these words. I wish we don't have, I don't normally long for an organ and Sunday morning worship, but for this one instance, I would like one. And that's for, uh, to sing the song of Mighty Fortress, which we're not going to do this morning, but I am going to quote it to end. The last line. Speaking about the word that will fell Satan, that one little word that Jesus will, will say that will fell Satan. He says, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Now listen, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.